Welcome to the Preserving Family podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. Welcome back. We are so grateful that you're joining us. We really are. <laughs> yeah, we, it makes it more fun when people when people listen. Uh, as um, the past few weeks, we've talked about discipline and building relationships with our children so that we can discipline. And today we're going to talk about obedience, which we feel like is another part of this. And we couldn't separate the three. We thought they all kind of go together, the the teaching and discipline and building relationships with our children so that we can, and then teaching our children how to be obedient and why they need to be obedient. I think they just all go together. So today we are going to talk about obedience. I'm sure that will be a very popular topic. So don't let your kids listen in as we share this with you. You know, there's probably a lot of personal stories we could tell in our family, but one that always sticks out to me is when our son Brandon was probably five or six years old, we had been doing yard work that day, uh, and then it was lunchtime, and Janie, you had bought some awesome ice cream. I don't know what kind it was, but uh, Brandon was determined that that's what what he was going to have for lunch that day, was uh, was ice cream, and we just let him know that wasn't going to happen, that he was going to eat his lunch first, ice cream second, and he could tell that we weren't going to budge on that. And I still remember him as a five-year-old saying, okay, fine. So we hand him the hot dog, the plate of you know, chips and hot dog and whatever else it was. And he goes out into the garage for some reason. The whole family is out sitting around the kitchen table. And for some reason, he's just going to mysteriously go out to the garage to eat, you know, which was weird. He came back in probably 30 seconds later and said, okay, I'm ready for my ice cream now. And I was like, okay, there's no way you just ate that. Where, what did you do with your hot dog? He's like, no, I ate it. And I said, really? And uh, we went back and forth on that a little bit, you know, just questioning him like a good attorney would. And uh, I even went out of the garage and looked for the hot dog. I couldn't find it anywhere and, and felt defeated a little bit. But he handed e- him his ice cream. <laughs> yeah, we handed him his bowl of ice cream and he ate it. And uh, anyway, and it wasn't until later that day I was weed eating, you know, the front flower bed. And all of a sudden, I see a perfect hot dog under the <laughs> under the bushes, and Brandon was across the street shooting baskets. So I called him over. I said, "Brandon, is this yours?" And he said, "No." I said, "Okay, look, I know that it's yours. So let's just get that straight. This is yours. So why did you lie to me? Why did you tell me a lie?" He goes, "I didn't." I'm like, what do you mean you didn't? He goes, "No." He goes, "I just." Uh, I just tricked you. And I thought, okay, <laughs> okay, good point there, brother. Anyway, so, but a, a great lesson ensued after that on obedience, on lying, you know, on, on the importance of telling the truth. And anyway, we have, there's a lot of those stories I'm sure that we could tell in our life. And I'm sure a lot of you have those as well. Let's just share some data with you for a few minutes. First of all, uh, when it comes to obedience, uh, about 12% of parents said in a Pew Research survey that that was one of their top priorities to teach, only 12 but 62% of parents saw great value in that. In another study uh, conducted by the National Parent Survey, they talked about 
well, the question was, is how do you discipline? What do parents do? 57% of parents in that survey said they struggled with figuring out what the most effective way to discipline is. And I think, Janie, we would, we would probably add to that 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 is so customized for every kid, right? We've kind of talked about it in our previous episodes, but our children are so individual, right, that that has to be customized and directed to them. Um, 65% of these parents said that they set limits and try to stick to them. Uh, 45% said they try to give a timeout. But there was other there were other categories where you could tell that parents were really struggling with what to do with their children. From a gospel perspective, this concept of obedience is really important. In fact, we both, Janie, we were just talking a minute ago about how obedience is the first law of heaven. Yeah, it is. And for those that have been through the temple too, obedience is the very first covenant we make. Right. And so I think Heavenly Father looks on obedience as very, very important. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. And as we did some research, you know, and as we kind of were Googling it, and um, I think almost every prophet and apostle is always has talked about obedience. I mean, so many of those stories about those prophets in the Old Testament, you know. In the scriptures. In the scriptures everywhere. The the theme is obedience from Noah and the ark to Adam and Eve. Nephi. As we we kind of went through the scriptures, we couldn't think of one story that didn't involve obedience, except Jonah, which was kind of a poor example. Well, an example (laughs) Example of disobedience. Disobedience and how he came to learn that he needed to be obedient. But every story involved obedience and prophets follow prophets, right? Right. Well, they do. And that, that reminds me of uh, something in our in the life of our own President Nelson. When he had that great meeting with President McKay years ago, back in 1965, and President McKay said that, you know, I think you should stay here. I think you should stay here in Salt Lake, not take the job in Chicago. A job had been offered at the University of Chicago Medical School. President Nelson, changed, they've changed their whole life course and life plan because a prophet had spoken. The same is true when you we hear that great story of President Kimball saying that the gospel needed to go to all the world, and especially China, and that we need more members of the church to learn Mandarin. What does President Nelson do? He goes right home, hires a tutor, and starts to learn Mandarin. He just didn't mess around when it came to obedience. Okay, so yeah, we mentioned that obedience is the first law of heaven. So let's talk right. about the doctrine of obedience just for a second. Um, Bruce R. McConkie said, Obedience is the first law of heaven, the cornerstone upon which all righteousness and progression rests. I think that's it, interesting that there is no progression without obedience to God's laws, right? Yeah, yeah. It consists in compliance with divine law, in conformity to the mind and will of deity, in complete subjection to God and his commands. So it's very important that we are obedient, mm-hmm. especially to God's laws. I think it's a way of showing God that we love, our Heavenly Father, that we love Him. But it's also it's how we worship. I mean, you can't worship without obedience. Right. Like Jesus told us, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, I'm also thinking of this statement from Joseph Fielding Smith years ago, where he was pretty bold, but he said, Should there be any who offend or fail to keep the commandments of the Lord... Then, then it is evidence that they do not love him. We must obey those commandments, he says. We show by our works that we love our God with all of our hearts, might, and mind, and strength. I like that, too. I mean, that's, that is, once again, how we worship. 
Okay, so to sum up that doctrine, we we are obedient for a few reasons, for our safety, for our personal moral safety, our physical safety. It's to show our love to our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. It shows our faith and trust in them, and it helps us progress to become like them. You know, it's been amazing to me as we've studied obedience a little bit from the scriptures, how really crucial it is. You know, you think of all, just think of all the scriptures that seem to address this topic, you know, from quoting the Savior, I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him that sent me. Even Christ was completely obedient to his father. I, the Lord, delight to honor those who serve me in righteousness and in truth. Doctrine and Covenant, section 76, verse 5. Like you said, Janie, a minute ago, if you love me, keep my commandments. The scriptures are full of these. Even Joseph Smith said, I made this my rule that when the Lord commands to do it. So, you know, several years ago, um, some BYU professors did a study on teenagers in the church. And we've already talked about this concept of regulation and self-regulation. And the key principle is that adolescents never really learn to regulate themselves unless they've been regulated, meaning they've had rules and, and uh, they've had to show some obedience in their lives. And in that study, what they found is that it, it wasn't what you would think, meaning that many of those youth said, oh my gosh, we just have too many rules. No, most of them said... I don't think we have enough rules in our house. I don't think my parents, uh, our parents clamp down on some things that we wish they would. Uh, we wish we had some more boundaries, which is really interesting that, that you would, that youth would say things like that. There's probably a lot of myths when it comes to obedience, both on the side of youth and parents. Absolutely. Some of those myths that we see about maybe why parents hesitate to teach obedience to their children or in their home is, first of all, it just it takes time and effort. You know, maybe the parents are busy. Maybe they're not in the home. Maybe they're just tired. <laughs> worn out. Yeah. Okay. Maybe they just don't want to argue with their children. There's a whole lot of reasons why maybe there's not obedience being taught. And I think all of us can relate to that. Maybe, you know, how tiring it is to have a two or three year old put blocks in a bucket when they don't want to. <laughs> yes. And I remember dealing with that, you know, honey, put the blocks in the bucket. No, you know, and right. having to go over and literally grab their hand and grab the, the Lego, put it in the box, grab the other, you know, with their hand, my hand holding their hand to teach them that, honey, we're doing that whether you want to or not, because that's what mommy said. <laughs> but it's hard. It's exhausting. Yeah. And I, what I was going to say is I... I'll tell my BYU students, because we have a section in one of the classes I teach on parenting, and I'll tell them, guys, there's probably not a lot of great, great parents in the world today. I know that's hard for them to hear, and it's probably a strong opinion, but I think I just see in my counseling work just fewer and fewer parents that are willing to put in the energy and the time and effort it takes to be a really good parent. It's just real. it's hard, right? And there's so many other distractions today, like they're, you know, more today than there's ever been. And so, yeah, I mean, this, if you want to be good at this, it's going to take sacrifice and all that you have 24 seven to, to be, be an awesome parent. parent. Yeah. And I just, yeah. And I hope I'm saying that the right way, but I just see fewer and fewer that are willing to really pay that price. Yeah. So that's probably one of the biggest myths or, or reasons maybe why obedience isn't being taught in the home. Right. Another one that we see a lot or hear a lot is people saying, well, it takes away their agency. If I teach them, you know, to be obedient, you know, I want them to be able to 
you know, choose for themselves. Well, they right. have to be taught to be in order to uh -huh. choose wisely. <laughs> the scriptures teach us that over and over that they have to be taught the truth. They have to be taught right from wrong. So then they can eventually choose for themselves. But when they're two and three, they aren't capable of that yet. Right. And so, and the scripture that comes to mind is train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Yeah. I love that. I know we live by that scripture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And to go along with that, um, Elder D. Todd Christofferson in his talk, Moral Discipline, gave this quote, which I thought totally applies. He said, I've heard a few parents state that they don't want to impose the gospel on their children, but want them to make up their own minds about what they will believe and follow. They think that in this way, they are allowing children to exercise their agency. What they forgot is that the intelligent use of agency requires knowledge of the truth of things as they really are. Without that, young people can hardly be expected to understand and evaluate the alternatives that come before them. Parents should consider how the adversary approaches their children. He and his followers are not promoting objectivity, but are vigorous multimedia advocates of sin and selfishness. I thought <laughs> that was so profound. It's coming at it from every angle. Yeah. And by the way, Satan is not casual, right? He is no. not permissive in any way. No. So if we are, if we're permissive, permissive and just don't teach our children because we want them to have agency or free agency or be free thinkers or whatever the worldly permissive terms are. Right. Then no, Satan's going to get your child. He's going to attack hard, which again is that third myth of being permissive parents. Permissive parenting is a, it doesn't teach obedience. And that is probably. Yeah. I think the third myth. Yeah. This the idea of, of laxness, right. And, and doing nothing, taking your foot off the gas as a parent and just, really being so disengaged. Right. I would agree. You know, in Mosiah 2.41, it's a reminder of the wonderful benefits and blessings from obedience. King Benjamin taught that I would desire that you should consider on the blessed and happy state of those who keep the commandments of God. For behold, they are blessed in all things, both temporal and spiritual. And if they hold out faithful to the end, they are received into heaven, that thereby they may dwell with God in a state of never-ending happiness. I think that's such a great, great promise, right? And then to add to that, something our own prophet, President Nelson, said a few years ago that obedience brings success, but exact obedience brings miracles. We definitely live in a day where we could be fall very short on happiness in our own personal lives. Obedience brings happiness. And we live in a day where we're, we can expect miracles now. And we need miracles in our lives. And I love that a prophet has said, well, then expect that, especially when you're obedient. So part of the principles here is we're trying to kind of link the gospel and what the gospel teaches to how we should kind of mirror that in our own homes. But so many, I think, disconnect from that, right? That we understand all these gospel principles of obedience, but when it comes to translating that into our own home life with our own children, sometimes that just becomes really difficult to do, right? For whatever reason. Yeah, or they just don't see the importance of it. Value it, right. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk for a second about how we are going to translate that into our own home and teaching our children the <laughs> doctrine of obedience. Right. Um, so does this sound familiar to any of you? Maybe saying, how many times do I have to tell you? Or I'm going to count to three and you better get over here. Okay. You know, or... <laughs> Um, or this is the last time I'm going to ask you to do this. You know, I mean, do these phrases sound familiar? How many times have I told you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember a few years ago, 
uh, on a high adventure asking one of our young men to do something, clean something up. And he said, well, this is like the seventh time you've asked me that. And I said, I know, but maybe I should only have to ask you once, right? <laughs> but I think sometimes as leaders or as, or as parents, maybe we're trying to be too nice. Maybe we're trying to preserve relationship. Um, <laughs> My favorite <laughs> clip of that, of Saturday Night Live, is... Um, has a Will Farrow standing at the barbecue grill, and he's like, hey, Bobby, get off the shed. Mm-hmm. Two minutes later, hey, Bob, hey, get off that shed for me. <laughs> a minute later, get off the shed. And by the end, he's literally cussing and screaming, get off the shed. But we as parents do that over and Just over. Just continue right? to escalate. Yeah, because we're trying to be nice. We're trying and to we be pr- patient. <laughs> we probably should tell whoever's listening that we don't watch Saturday Night Live. But this yeah, is from a this long time ago. This is just a funny ago. clip. This is some outtake that someone sent us. Just to yeah. restore your faith. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, so just just all of those things. And, and in doing so, really what's happening, I think, is that children are teaching their parents. The children are teaching parents that, hey, if you want me to respond in any way, you're going to have to go berserk. You're going to have to get to the level of <sighs> screaming, yelling, foaming at the mouth. Right? Yeah, and then I'll pay or, attention to you. Yeah, right? yeah. And so that's what we don't want to do. And we can talk about this because we have made all these mistakes, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. We have made every mistake there is to make. So that's why we are experts at this and we can talk about this. We have a little uh, experience here, that's for sure. <laughs> so let's talk about, Mark, just a few of these discipline mistakes for a minute that we did as we were growing up, that we... As made, we were raising or our Sorry, kids, as we yeah. were raising our children, they were growing up and maybe that we see in our culture today that um, maybe might help somebody to be stop and be like, oh, shoot, I shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, whether we call these common discipline mistakes or traps or something, but yeah. But we as parents all get caught up in this, right? Because we're trying to be good parents. We're trying to be nice. We're trying to be patient, kind, charitable, all those things, right? All right. the things. So, And the first one is, let's not do idle threats. Idle threats are when you're like, Okay, you're never going to watch TV again if you do that. Or you're never going to have dessert in your life ever again. <laughs> or you're never watching, you know, whatever. Christmas, it is. Christmas is over, okay? You're no, not, there's no Christmas. Christmas. Santa's not coming. I mean, mm. you can't throw the idle threats because they soon learn that, yes, I'm going to have dessert again. Yes, I'm going to watch TV again. Santa still came, even though they, they told me that. <laughs> you know me. what I mean? And so let's not do idle threats. They're pointless. They're ridiculous. It's just made in the heat of anger. And it just makes the parent look stupid. Right. And, the kid and they learn tra- very quickly. The, the, the child is not going to learn that the parent is Right. They learn be just to not to trust you. Right. Yeah. The second is yelling. There, we talked about in the disciplining that discipline means to teach. That's our, our job to control ourselves. I mean, in the heat of a moment, if your kid's walking into the street or t- ready to touch the stove, okay, there's a, you know, there's a moment for that. But general yelling, the kids just learn to tune you out until you're screaming. Right. And I remember years ago listening to a sports talk radio show when we lived in Dallas. And at that time, the coach of the Dallas Mavericks was Don Nelson. And the, and the interviewer asked, asked him, Coach, how often do you yell at the players? And he said, really hardly ever. And he said that he had learned years earlier as a younger coach that the more that you yell, the less they pay attention. He said, You're, you become Charlie Brown's teacher. <laughs> they That's hear, mom, 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 Right. And they just tune out. And so he said, I saved yelling for like two or three times a year. You yeah. Know, because you really need it. It just becomes worthless, you know. 
And so. I actually learned that if you if you talk quiet, if you almost whisper, then that's when they get quiet and listen. They're kind of like, huh, what is she saying? Wait, did she just <laughs> say something? Yeah. Yeah. My third one that we were experts at is that our kids taught us to do fractions. You know, until someone pointed this, we went to a parenting workshop and we were taught, whoa, we are experts at fractions. And that means when we like one, two, two and a half, <laughs> two and three quarters, three. Okay. Okay. Three. I, I said three. Okay. I'm going to give you one more chance to five and you better come. <laughs> okay. Let's go to 10. You become like an auctioneer, right? <laughs> and all this does is teach the kids that you don't have to mind until they get to five or till you get to 10 or till again, you're screaming or yelling. And so... Don't do fractions with your kids. Or, or counting at all. Or just, counting. Just they, throw that one out. We're teaching exact obedience. When I say, go get your shoes, that means go get your shoes. I'm not going to ask you 10 times to go get your shoes. Right. Um, the fourth one is name calling or labeling. Let's not do that to our children. Let's not say, oh, you're lazy. You're... You little liar. I've heard someone liar. say that before. You, you're mean to your sister. You're a mean person or anything. We don't label that. That's... That because that sticks with children forever. Yeah, um, totally. So that's another fallacy that we as parents all make. Not all, but some <laughs> people make. <laughs> right. Um, pointing out the bad and ignoring the good is another fallacy, but which we, again, children get 10 times the negative that they do for every positive comment. So let's turn that around. Let's try to maybe ignore some of the bad if we can and look for the good and that can tr totally turn the ship around in a lot of cases i know that you know we've talked about this one before but it's worth repeating that randall wright a good friend of ours and a great scholar on the family uh, told the story of a, of a teenage boy after being yelled at by a parent looking at his mom and saying mom is there anything you like about me i don't think any of us would ever want our children asking that question. They, they need to know, not only are they liked, but we are in love with them and are so happy that they belong to us. Absolutely. I love that. Number six is expecting too much. We can't expect a <laughs> three-year-old to go clean their room. Maybe they could pick up some blocks and put some toys in a bucket, but they can't clean their room at age three. I know some adults who can't clean a room <laughs> and to expect a three-year-old to go, you know, have a list of 85 chores or jobs. That's just ridiculous. So make age appropriate demands on your children and realize what they are capable of and what they're not capable of. I, I would say that for us, that may have been of all these mistakes, that may have been maybe number one. I can remember many times seeing our, our young, you know, children off to their room to clean it and coming back an hour later and they haven't done anything. Or they said, wow, this is clean now. And, and they picked up one thing maybe. Or... <laughs> and that's where parents, we, again, taking the time and effort and sacrifice, you have to go work with your children for right. several years, teaching them how to properly clean a room, make a bed, clean a toilet, do dishes, whatever it takes. But they don't know unless they are trained and you're side by side working with them. They don't know how to do that. No, not at all. Okay, number seven is trying to reason or negotiate with small children. <laughs> <laughs> and that was our, we learned that early on as we just said, we don't, we don't negotiate with terrorists in this house, you know, to have a three-year-old having a temper tantrum or, um, no, you, mom and dad said, this is how it is. And this is how it is. <laughs> I remember Janie, your dad was so good about that. He, that was a coaching tip he was giving us early in our young parenting years, but he would talk about parents that he would see out in the foyer of church negotiating with a three-year-old if they were going to come in or out or and uh, that's where we learn that great principle from that we don't want to negotiate part of it is they don't have an adult mind they're not their brains are not developed in a way to think adult-like and we want them to 
But at age three, they're not. They're 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 kids. They're babies. Right. Which is that's number eight. Is you know we we often assume oh. that that a young child can think like we do, and just like we talked about, I think it was last episode is. We ask why. Why did you do that dumb thing? And they're like, I don't know, because they really don't know. <laughs> so, yes, they do not have adult brains. Yeah. Here's another one. Just modeling the very behaviors that we don't want them to do. We may tell a lie. We may yell. We may have a TT <laughs> of sorts. Uh, get mad at someone and, and take that out on another person. And, and our children are watching that. I mean, they are watching us quite closely and once again back to randall wright he'll he'll say that a a teenager can smell a hypocrite a mile away Mm -hmm. and often the first hypocrite they smell is their own parents right (laughs) exactly number 10 to assume that what would work for one child will also work for another we've talked about this idea of customizing the way that we we parent and we've talked about it before one kid you look at they're going to cry the other uh, you'd have to hit them in the head with a frying pan and they still would think that uh, <laughs> they didn't do anything wrong. And I'm kidding. We would never do that. But disciplining while angry, uh, big mistake, guilty as charged. Never ends before. well. Yeah, never ends well. Never ends well. Sometimes a good timeout for a parent is a really good thing to do and to think about that for a little while. Back to Jesus doodling in the sand. Sometimes as parents, we really need to do that. Long lectures. I was famous for that. And uh, when when I told the, our children as teenagers, okay, meet me in my office, they knew that that long lecture oh, was coming. They're like, no, just ground me. I'd rather be grounded <laughs> yeah. than have a long lecture. <laughs> yeah. It, we, th- that has a shelf life, right? We need to be be brief and to the point. And number four, well, another one is just when there's no consequences. I see this one a lot. There's no consequences for poor behavior. The parents act like they maybe didn't see it or they just don't want to deal with it. Or the parents yell. You or know, just yell and scream and yell. They just and yell then... and scream and get mad and chew their kid out. And then everyone just kind of moves on. But there was, you know, this is gets into the essence of discipline. You know, if discipline really is teaching, then to the parent who does that, you just missed a key opportunity to teach your child something very valuable by just yelling at them. And that was it. Let there be a consequence for that, for that poor behavior. We see parents who bribe, which to me is is just the opposite of a reward. A bribe is when they receive the reward before they engage in the behavior that you're hoping for, where a reward comes after, which that... And we're all about the rewards. Yeah. And just repeating... If you're repeating yourself over and over again as a parent and sounding like a broken record, something's not right. We probably as a parent need to step back and see what that what, what it is that we're, we're not doing the right way because... If we're say, visiting the same thing, you know, to quote Einstein, right? To uh, what does he say that that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and hoping for a different result, and that just doesn't work. So when we were raising our children, we were very big on obedience, and because I think we've said this in a couple other episodes, but we were just convinced that if our children couldn't learn to obey their parents in our in the home, that how would they ever obey? any commandments of society or the law, or how would they ever obey their bishop or stake president or mission president or living prophet or ultimately heavenly father? How would they keep commandments if they couldn't learn to be obedient in our home? And I think learning obedience takes place in the home. That's where it has to be taught. And in Proverbs 
Proverbs 3.12, it says, Whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Yeah. And another scripture that he chasteneth those who he loves. And so if the Lord is doing that with us, we need to be teaching our children how to be obedient because we love them and we want the best for them. You know, Janie, I think what you just said, though, it can't be overstated. I think it may be one of the most crucial points of what we're trying to share today, that how would those children who don't learn obedience in the home ever be obedient on their mission? ever be obedient to living prophets. I think of all the high adventures that I've been on as a youth leader, and just it was just always so evident who had been taught obedience at home and who hadn't been. But I, it's, this is my own personal belief, but I believe that for our youth who live in these latter days and for the other generations that come after them, who, however long this goes until Christ comes again, but obeying a living prophet this is just my belief. I'm not teaching this as a true principle, but it is for me that that their obedience to a living prophet will determine their own spiritual and physical safety in the latter days. And if anyone questions that, I give you a homework assignment to go read Third Nephi, chapter uh, ten, verse twelve. Who was left standing to meet Christ when He came again? It was those who obeyed the prophets. And that was it. I mean, it came right down to that. This is, or in other words, this is, this is crucial stuff. And it's really important that it be taught in the home. Right. So let's talk about just a couple of principles that will help us teach our children obedience in the home. And the first one is we're really big on first time obedience. Like we talked about the whole counting, the fractions, <laughs> the threatening, the we're bribing, not handling. Anymore. Let's teach our children to obey the very first time. Yes, on this principle of first-time obedience, there's a lot of examples before us. I just love that Nephi was always willing to obey, right out of the gate. No questions asked, just he was going to follow his father, the prophet Lehi. Yeah, I will go and do the things which the Lord has commanded. I mean, that was Nephi's motto. That was his mantra, right? (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if our children thought the same way? (laughs) So true. You know, Ephraim Hanks, one of of my favorite characters in our church history, but one of the... The reputation that he had was that whatever the prophet asked, he was going to do. This is a great story we could tell our children. Uh, But when Ephraim Hanks is told by Brigham Young that he needed to tear down the walls of his adobe home that he was building, those walls were eight inches thick, Brigham Young said, I would double that, and then just drove away. And Ephraim was left to decide if he was going to do that or not. But you know what? The prophet said it. And so he went to work. It was hard. But he was greatly blessed for doing it. There there actually ended up being a flood. I always wondered how there was a flood in Salt Lake. And now I know as we live in the springtime, right, and have this water running down. But but yeah, Ephraim's home stood still while the other homes in the area washed away. Uh, Another time he was asked at a dance to go home and shave off his beard by Brigham Young, again, the prophet. And what did he had do? a beard of his own, so it was kind of like. Well, I don't know if Brigham would have had a beard at that time or not. He may have, but but he asked uh, Ephraim to go do that, and he did. And then he came back to the dance, and uh, he still had a mustache, you know. And Brigham said, "No, Ephraim, I mean a clean shave." And he went home, shaved again, and came back. But that was that was the type of obedience that uh, that Ephraim Hanks displayed over and over and over again. You know, another uh, point to this, this idea of first-time obedience, I don't know if anyone in our history of our church ever spoke more about this than President McKay. Uh, You know, from his journal that I had a chance to do some research on a few years back, he tells the story of a mother doing this 
repeating these commands over and over again to a little boy, her son named Donald. And he continues, she continues to ask Donald, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And President McKay's writing a letter back home to his wife, Emma Ray, and just telling her that here's another child learning how to be disobedient by the way his mom was carrying that out. Here's what President McKay said, that if the home does not develop obedience, society will demand it and get it. It is therefore better for the home, with its kindness, sympathy, and understanding, to train the child in obedience, rather than callously to leave him to the brutal and unsympathetic discipline that society will impose. But maybe his, his greatest teaching in this area was this, never give a child a command that cannot immediately be carried out. Another time he said it this way, never repeat a clear command. If you repeat it, the child will always wait for the repetition. Mm. And so President McKay was just really big on this first-time obedience idea. In fact, one of his sons, uh, Lawrence, learned it this way. He was in the back of the Surrey. That tells you how old this was in the Surrey, if you can imagine, with his brother, Lawrence and Llewellyn, in the back. And they were goofing off like boys do. And President McKay told them one time, Boys, you need to stop it. And part of the reason why is it was a little bit dangerous. You could fall out of that thing and the wheels could run over you and that would not be good. And so President McKay was pretty direct when he said, guys, knock it off. Lawrence started right back up again and that was it. President McKay kicked him out of the Surrey and he had to walk the rest of the way home. By the way, we're not, we're not recommending that that's how you do that, but... It's a great it's a great principle that he's teaching. Of first time obedience. Right. First time obedience. And again it ties in with what we talked about before is there's no threat, there's no yelling. He President made it very clear and that's what happened. And the child knows that when dad says something, that's gonna happen. And so You can count on it, you can bank on it. So first time obedience isn't just an LDS doctrine or something that goes on in our church. <laughs> Um, it is taught in society, and Dr. Kevin Lehman, who is a parenting expert, um, wrote the book, Have a New Kid by Friday. He wrote the Birth Order book. He's an excellent... Oh, um, he's so good on in, parenthood in, and family life. Incredible. And here's what he says. If you, want to take your ch- if you want your child to take you seriously, say your words once, only once. If you say it more than once, you're implying, I think you're so stupid that you're not going to get it on the first time, so let me tell you again. <laughs> yeah. Is that respectful of your child? Once you've said it, turn your back. Expect your words to be heated. There's no peeking over your shoulder to see if the child is doing what you say. There's no back talk, no argument. You've said your words calmly, and they're over. Then when you walk away and get busy doing something else, will your child be mad, shocked, confused? Will you have a few hassle, a few days of hassle? Oh yes, he <laughs> <laughs> and he does. He goes on to explain in that cha- in that in his book that yeah, it's going to take a little while to teach that. But I like when turn you're... that ship around, right? If we're used mm. to counting and doing fractions, right? And... There'll be an adjustment period. But but like you said, Janie, pretty soon if there's consistency with that, then children just learn that boy, when mom or dad speak, I I need to carry that out. I'm grateful that my parents taught that principle of first-time obedience, that I knew when they (laughs) said jump, I jumped. (laughs) And in my case, I'm grateful for this story I'm going to tell you that I didn't jump. So I was probably about five or six years old, and we had a little cabin up in the Uintas that we would go to on weekends or occasional, and there was this big tall hill behind our cabin that we would go up. And somebody, one weekend, we discovered it hung a big rope. Probably and for a rope swing or yeah, something, Yeah, for a right? big rope swing that kind of 
went out over this tall ravine behind our cabin. Mm. And we had climbed up there as children and we had found this rope and it kind of came our new spot where you and where there was a noose on the end that you would put your foot in and hold onto the swing and swing out kind of like Tarzan. Yeah. Well, being a stupid five-year-old, again, <laughs> how we say that children, why do they do the things we do? We don't know. <laughs> yeah. But for some reason, I thought, oh, if I put it around my neck, I don't have to hold on. <laughs> why I thought that, yeah, it just tells what a dumb five-year-old I was. <laughs> so I stood up on the edge of the cliff and I put the noose around my neck thinking, oh, I'll just swing out and I want to hold on. Luckily, my dad happened to look up at that very moment and yelled, Janie, stop. And mm. I stopped because dad said stop. <laughs> and what would have happened if I hadn't, if I thought, oh, no, I'm just going to do it this time or didn't obey or didn't listen. And so there is a direct principle to our safety that we have to, our children need to be obedient. First time obedience. How many of us as parents have had to yell to one of our children, stop because a car was coming and they didn't even see it and they ran and if your child has never learned obedience, that that could be a deathly decision, right? Right. So I'm so grateful for, and I taught my children that a lot, is <laughs> this is why we tell you why you have to obey and have to listen. And but I'm grateful that I listened to my dad that day. Well, I'm really grateful that you listened to your dad because then we, I would have never met you. <laughs> <laughs> the second principle that we'd like to share today when it comes to teaching obedience is the role that natural and logical consequences can play. Those consequences can be our best friend. Right. I was going to say, those are the best kind of teaching moments because you don't have to do anything. Nature takes its course <laughs> takes and they, its learn course. A, they learn their lesson naturally. Right. And sometimes when those lessons are learned naturally and in a painful way, and when I say painful, meaning like a, a child actually touches a stove or... I know sometimes when I'm making a fire in the backyard, you'll come up and say, careful, because all the grandsons are getting close to the fire. And I'll tell you, honey, that's how they learn. You, you get close to the fire and it's really hot, you back away. I mean, that's just a natural consequence, uh, you know, and, and that's how we, uh, we process these things. But anyway, I want to refer you to an article that, that I think every parent should read. It's Carol McAdoo Ream, and it's the ensign. April 2000, and the title of the talk is called The Truth, or Consequ- the Truth of Consequences. And uh, Carol does a great job uh, teaching this principle. She had some great examples of consequences and natural and logical consequences. And a couple of right. them were, she said uh, she had a 10-year-old son and who was fighting with another sibling over the front seat of the car. And mm. she said, our 10-year-old son went racing from the rear seat of the van to claim the empty front seat. In the process, his foot smashed a cake that I had spent all day making <laughs> for a visiting teaching assignment. And she said, consequence? He tended the other kids all day while I make a new one, <laughs> a new cake. Yeah. And he was banned from the front seat for three months. And she said, effective? Yes, that was. You know, and he knew that, you know. And right. then an- another consequence, she said, is that if you use bad language or if you say something mean to your sibling that um, nothing, if nothing sweet comes out of your mouth, nothing sweet goes in. And so that <laughs> child couldn't have dessert for whatever, X amount of days or whatever. <laughs> but it's hard as a parent to find those natural and logical consequences. But when you find it, yeah. them, I think that they're very powerful teachers. Um, she had a couple of kids that were totally fighting and arguing and just could not get along. 
And so she said, fine, if you can't play together, then you're going to work together. And so she sent them out to watch washed windows, one on one side and one on the other, one indoor, one outdoor. (laughs) And she said by an hour in, they were totally laughing and making funny faces at each other. And then they were best buddies again. And she got her windows clean. (laughs) And so I really loved her um, examples of natural and, you know, natural logical consequences. Yeah. And I know in our own home, uh, a classic family home evening was... uh, Maybe uh, someone was going to be contentious and get in some arguments or whatever with some of our other children. And so, okay, guess what? You're you're really struggling with being around people today. So let's remove you from people for a little while. And uh, why don't you come back down when you're ready? You know, when you're ready to be nice and interact yeah. pe- with people, meaning your siblings in a loving way. Yeah, and I love a couple other examples. Um, a child who can't sit in their chair to eat. They took the chair away and they had to stand and eat. (laughs) If your kids won't clean up their toys, then their toys disappear for a while. You know, if you have to clean them up, mom, put them up in a closet for a while and they don't get them. I remember in in our life, I think we put those toys that were left on the floor over and over again in a garbage sack. And uh, they They went up in the attic for a little while. Yeah, and they had to kind of earn them back. Um, uh, If a child walks in with mud all over their feet and all over messes the kitchen floor up. What's the natural consequence? They clean it up. Yeah. There's no mom doesn't need to yell and rant and rave and they have to clean it up. So and I just learning think, how to work at the same time, right? right. And so mm. I think we really need to take advantage of those opportunities of teaching. I think part of the art of parenting is to kind of come up with those natural logical consequences. It's pretty cool to to kind of think of how they could work. So one that I didn't think about and I didn't prepare for, but just just <laughs> happened and taught my kids You're a lesson. Still in trouble for I'm this still morning. in trouble. Is one Saturday morning when our kids were home and they were all supposed to be doing Saturday morning chores. I went up to the game room, the loft area, and there was three of my kids sitting there playing Nintendo. Yeah. And being very quiet and sneaky. <laughs> so when I walked up and saw that, I grabbed the Nintendo. And which was a gold limited edition Nintendo, by the way. Which we didn't even know, but yeah. <laughs> Grabbed it out of the wall, wrapped up the cords, took all the paddles and everything, and walked out and threw it out in the garbage can outside in the dumpster, thinking in my mind, I'll go back and get it in a few minutes, you know. But that was done in the heat of anger and rage, <laughs> which I admit, well, my not, mistake. I don't think you were raging, but well, you, were, I was, you, were, you were angry. I was frustrated. Probably frustration, right? Yeah. That they hadn't been doing what I asked them to do. And so... Um, anyway, they went about their day, did their chores. Uh, we went about the day and I totally forgot to go get it out of the dumpster and it got thrown away. And so they still haven't forgiven me for that. They bring that up every so often, don't they? And now they're in their thirties and they still bring that up. But it taught them a good lesson, right? That on work day, they can't be up playing Nintendo. Well, yeah. And they knew mom, they knew mom wasn't going to mess around. Principle number three that really is closely related to our second principle on natural and logical consequences this may be just an extension of it to some degree but it's just the idea that the punishment needs to fit the crime and that's another art form so to speak in parenthood of where parents can really think about the consequence for something that our, our children did back to the examples we've used earlier okay you spilled your milk you're never watching tv ever again or you hit your sister no christmas for you I remember when I was 11, I was fishing, and and that sounds like a pretty good thing. If I had an 11-year-old son today and found out he was out fishing, I'd probably be pretty excited about that, right? But I was fishing, and my lure got stuck on a log, and it was in the middle of this pond where we close to where we lived, 
And I was doing everything I could to get that lure because it was my dad's. I knew I was going to be busted when I got home if I didn't have that lure. And trying to pull it off of this log that was probably 30 or 40 yards out in this uh, water, I slipped on this mud. Anyway, yeah, so I slipped and fell in the water, came home, never got the lure, by the way, but came home soaking wet. And I remember I was grounded. for This was like a Saturday morning, I think. And now I'm grounded for the entire rest of the weekend. And I remember thinking, even as an 11-year-old, this is dumb. I mean, really, I fell in the water and I'm just going to be in solitary confinement for the weekend, you know? In fact, I think of it now, if one of our children came home soaking wet because they fell in a lake, we would just laugh, right? I mean, it would just be funny. So let's make sure that uh, those that the punishment fits the crime, so to speak. I remember when I started teaching in secondary education years ago, and our administrators taught us this concept, which was when it comes to classroom discipline, you know, there's everything from a slingshot, which is a really minor light approach to a discipline problem, all the way up to like a bazooka uh, or a flamethrower, whatever analogy you want to use. And I just, it's just become clear to me over the years that a lot of parents, probably that can go both ways, right? Where some are, are, are firing that bazooka when a, a small little slingshot would have just been fine. Or they're shooting a slingshot where they may have needed a bazooka in some cases. So let's make sure that you start off, that we start off with the mildest form of discipline. And if we need to work our way up the scale, we can. But the consequences always need to be in proportion to the misbehavior. And the fourth principle is don't forget that consequences can be positive. Right. But they don't have, we've been talking about negative, but they don't have to be negative. <laughs> let's look for the positive. Let's look for the times that we can praise our children, build them up, um, compliment them. We know that rewarded behavior continues. Mm. And so anytime our children do something good and we reward that, we acknowledge it, whatever their love language is, right? Like if they seek praise and we praise them, or if they seek time to go play with friends and we, oh, you're been, you've been such a great help all week. Yes. Why don't you go out and play with your friend? Whatever it is, I think we need to look for those natural consequences that we can reward um, our yeah. children, our, our spouses, whoever that. Yeah. I think that. That's so true. I think, you know, if John Gottman's five to one ratio in a marriage relationship, the five to one ratio of positive to negative interactions applies just as much in parenthood as it does in, in, in married, in marriage. Right. And I, I think it's also great as we give the, as we give privileges and, and reward our children in some way that we point out, here's why we're doing this by the way, you know, here's why we're doing this. Yeah. You're such a great kid. Yeah. You, you know what? You've done your chores all week. You, we can trust you and we're so grateful for you for that. And so, yeah, go ahead and go. These efforts aren't wasted, you know, as we talk about teaching our children obedience. And I just think of the blessings that have come in our lives as we now watch our children teaching their own children and their faithfulness to each other and to the gospel and their own testimonies. That's a great, it's a great benefit as parents. We can look upon that and just are so grateful that these things that we've taught mattered. And it, it becomes important because this is not about obedience for obedience sake. This is about helping children to come to love God and to know him, to love his laws and to know to know him and to become great citizens, not only in society, but in the church, to become great parents themselves. There's purpose for all of this and there's great blessings for all of it. 
Let me quote President Utdorf here, who just said this in general conference on his great talk on parenting. Your efforts may seem small compared to the loud voices your children hear in the world. At times it may feel that you're not accomplishing much. But remember that by small means, the Lord can bring about great things. One home evening, one gospel conversation, or one good example but may not change your child's life in a moment. Any more than one drop of rain causes a plant to immediately grow. But the consistency of small and simple things, day after day, nourishes your children much better than the occasional flood. I just think that's such a great statement. It really is. In closing today, um, as we've been talking about obedience and the do's and the don'ts and the highs and the lows of obedience, um, it just I recalled a time where I had one of my children that had just been really struggling all week and probably for longer than a week, but hadn't done their chores. The room was a mess, wasn't it? The room was a mess. The chores weren't done. They were grumpy. They were mad. It was just kind of a contentious. And and I was just getting so frustrated with this child. And again, as that morning after they had gone to seminary and then school, and I walked in their room, and it was a wreck. Not one (laughs) thing had been done. Bed not made. The room looked like a disaster. And I was just like, oh, I'm so frustrated. And then the spirit kind of just softened me and thought, and I just had the thought, go in and clean their room for them. And I'm like, why would I do that? And I'm having this inner battle. Like she's not being responsible. You know, she hasn't done it all week. Why would I do that? And I just really felt this pressing feeling that I need to do that. So I went in, cleaned her room, made it sparkling clean, put her laundry away, everything. And when she came home, she went up to her room and I didn't hear from her for a little while. Mm -hmm. And then she came down and she said, gave me a big hug and said, Mom, thanks so much for cleaning my room. Sorry. Um, I've just been struggling. I've had so much pressure at school, so much going on with all this stuff. And she really opened up to me and told me what was going on in her life. And it was such a tender moment that I was so grateful that the Lord sent me that grace, sent me that mercy, sent me that love for her. And prompted me to not be so harsh with her, to listen, to understand. And I think that that's where the spirit comes in as we teach our children, as we build relationships with them, as we try to teach them obedience, that we have to have the spirit involved in order to be great parents. And again, that day, I was so grateful that the Lord helped me build that relationship with that daughter, that I was able to serve her and that you know, then she was able to open up to me and I understood better where what was going on in her life. And so parents, as we do this, this is the hardest job in the world. Um, I encourage you to... And the most worthwhile. Most right? worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> that experience you just shared, those are gold. I mean, that's that's a great parent, parenting memory. Right. But we can't just be looking for punishments and consequences. Sometimes it does take grace. Sometimes it takes mercy, mercy, love, all those love and feign, long suffering, all those Christ-like attributes to, in order to teach our children, to love them, to teach them to be obedient. Well, thank you for joining us today. We've enjoyed this conversation with each other and hopefully there was something here that would benefit you and your family. And so with LDS, let's do something. We just would invite you to find something that we've talked about today that could bless your life, the life of your family, and find a way to implement that one little small thing. That's all we have to do is just something small. So until next time, we hope you have a great week. Please feel free to share this podcast with anyone that you know that could benefit from it. And we look forward to being with you.